I don't want a big old. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 176. I know I said last week was 174, when it was actually 175, but this is 176, and I believe the show will be labeled so. Because the numbers, I've got it, the numbers are set up to to just go automatically now, so it's I can't fuck it up with the way the episode's actually labeled. So they were I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> it for reals for reals, it's episode 176, which doesn't mean anything to you right now the listener, but if you're going back and forth through episodes on the Nokomoto app, which is getting even closer to being ready, I promise you more progress has been made this last week than the episode numbers might matter to you as you're going through the backlog. Now, this episode oh hold on i'm your host moto g pete with me is your other host swiggy yo and we come to you from nokomoto podcast studios which is also moto one podcast network studios recording suite a here in northern colorado where we had another one of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year Woo! so what are we going to talk about we are going to do a slow news roundup, right? It's January. There's usually nothing to talk about motorcycle wise, but we found we scraped every bit like the bot, like the human bots. We are, we scraped the internet and found the last remaining little bits of interesting news morsels and tidbits from the ocean floor. That is the internet and we'll round up those. We're going to do best worst bike in the world this week. And I don't know. We'll just see if there's fun times for something else after all of that. So, Swigs, you think we're ready to do best worst bike in the world this week? I think so. Let's do it. Okay. I'm going to do the full intro this week because you know what I've noticed? As I've been abbreviating the best worst bike in the world explanation the number of emails we've got has gone down. And I realized that's because I always put the contact email in the description of this segment. So just a reminder, inevitably you will get triggered by what we pick as the best worst bike in the world this week. Now we don't know what each other have chosen for these bikes. It's a surprise, but what is for sure is that it's going to upset somebody whether whatever we've chosen is best or worse, will be framed the wrong way for somebody's sensibilities. Of that, we can be sure. So send those angry emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com, where we'll read them, we'll send them off to legal, we will have t-shirts made up with most of the embarrassing quotes from them, and we'll finally read it aloud on the show and... It'll spark discussion. Further emails will be sent and the cycle will continue. So, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Awesome. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. Oh, crap. Where's the the thing? Where's the the my thing is my button's gone. Holy crap. This is annoying. 
You know what? We're going to use a different sound effect. And the best bike in the world this week is? <laughs> Oddly an appropriate sound effect. Um, I have picked the 2022 Honda Navi. Oh, okay. Excellent. All right. So this is what we talked about two episodes ago. The bike, the new Honda bike that we love so much. And I mean, we said so many wonderful things about it. What, what new do you have to bring to the table? Uh, what I have to bring to the table is the fact that this bike is totally future-proof. Oh, okay. That's an angle we did not explore. Okay. So, I mean, uh, I won't cast the TV for some reason. Um, but here's here's something to consider. You know, with bikes getting more and more complex with electronics, they're getting harder and harder to modify and to keep up to date. Like... I don't know what your solution is going to be to, you know, get any kind of aftermarket fix on like Magneti Morelli fuel injection, but I mean, you can basically go fuck yourself as is going to be the case with a lot of things, especially when we get to electric bikes. Cause even though ostensibly electric bikes are way, way more simple than internal combustion engines, there's been all sorts of overly complex fuckery going on with electric bikes uh, in terms of things like, oh, well, this charger totally would work with this battery. However, we've decided that we're just not going to allow it to work. And now you've got all this software stopping you from getting your shit to work. I mean, I'm sure there's a carburetor off of a Briggs & Stratton that you could put onto the Honda Navi and it would work just fine. Because essentially this is a bike that was made by uh, Hero Honda in India originally. Um, and now they're marketing it over here. So there's nothing complex on this. It's a 110cc two-valve motor. It's um, really as simple as you can possibly get. I mean, it is like just a a tuned up lawnmower engine effectively so this bike will last forever if you need to you can probably just get a machinist to fabricate parts for you pretty cheaply and you never will you'll never have to either because it's a honda so every single part on this bike is being ripped off and reproduced in china somewhere uh and also a fair few reputable licensed um, manufacturers have, a, a fair few of reputable manufacturers in China have also bought the licenses and the rights to make stuff for this bike because they'll use it on other, on other Chinese bikes. So you're going to be set for life with this. You'll, there's never going to be a case of, oh, well, I need this one piece or I need this integrated mirror and turn signal for this bike from that hasn't been produced in 30 years and God knows where I can find one. None of that applies here. It's, it's just always going to be fixable, always going to be maintainable. It's going to last forever. And you know what? Even if they stop producing the gauges... They're all analog gauges. So 
Um, uh, for those of you who have seen the um, the the Fortnite video, you can buy kits that can essentially digitize your bike. You could just rip all the instrumentation out completely, and you could set it up with essentially like mountain bike type sensors for for speed and for uh oil temperature and everything and you could do you could do whatever you want you'll you'll just be set for life and i picked this bike because this is okay here's what this bike is going to be like 30 years from now you know every time you go into like an advanced auto or into like an o'reilly's or even just a lot of like um even just a lot of garages and mechanic shops, they all have like an old computer that's hooked up to a dot matrix printer. And they're never, ever getting rid of that dot matrix printers because the world of printers is complete fucking bullshit. There's, all sorts of weird software you have to use and drivers and you've got to get the right ink cartridges and you got to use you know, each and all this all this nonsense that is piled up uh but that dot matrix printer that naive innocent little device that just keeps on chugging they're around for a reason and so too will the honda navi Well, I, I agree. Everything you just said, I think, is completely accurate. I think it's also future-proof because, just to reiterate my point from two weeks ago, I think putting an electric motor onto this is going to be the easiest thing ever. Yep. So if at some point you feel that the 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 ice engine that it's got just doesn't suit your your means anymore i honda would be crazy not to do a version of this that's just straight up electric because i mean that motor is just going to come out so easy and an electric one go in its place i way easier than it could on anything else it's yeah so you're right. It is. And as far as the body work goes, I there's no reason someone couldn't make some other style of body work that just clips onto this basic frame that's here, this scooter frame that's here. Yeah. It's it's also simple. Um Yeah, yeah. I mean realist I mean when you look at it I I do kind of feel like the uh the bodywork for this bike it's a little bit weird and i kind of realize what i think it looks like now it it looks like somebody took like a plastic mold for an interior piece of um of a um uh oh, what was it uh What's the car? So I think it looks a little bit like a Ryobi power tool, personally. I which think, is a little harsh, but for uh, what it is, it, the yellow it ones kind of suits do. it. It kind I, of suits it. I, I to me, it looks like it was possibly like an interior piece of like an armrest. 
in like the back seats of like a Pontiac Aztec. Yeah, they just like doubled it's like a up Pontiac and like glued Aztec together armrest, and they just like took, seat divider. Yeah, yeah, and they just printed, they just molded two of them and glued them together. You're right. It, there is something going that that way as well. Uh, yeah, somewhere between Pontiac Aztec and a and a, like a Ryobi leaf blower <laughs> is, <laughs> is what it looks like. But well, that's obvious. That's got to be the I first time. I think it's part of its charm, though. It is. And again, it's a it's a weird bike in that it doesn't look all that great on its own. But in all the pictures you see a rider on it, all of a sudden its profile and its layout looks a lot better. Yeah. It's an odd bike to look at because when you see a picture of it by itself, you want to imagine it as a full-size bike, and then the proportions all seem off. Yes. Because of its small wheels and everything. But once you see a rider on it, you're like, oh, okay, now it makes a little more sense. I'm loving this uh, this um, this set of uh, custom decals from Icon that we're seeing here on the on the Honda website. That's a that's a really nice touch. I hope there's a lot more of these these custom decal sets that are just available options right in the the dealership. It'd be better if they just like. If you remember, this is something we said Honda should be doing about two years ago. Exactly this. Just lots of sticker kits. So it'd be even better if you so know, instead of hiring us, Honda's just openly stealing our ideas. Well, do you remember right when digital cameras really took off, but nobody thought that um nobody thought that just having pictures on your computer would be appealing to people. So right. they introduced the um the at home like film printing uh devices. Oh yeah, like the yeah, glossy they were, photo printers. Yeah, they were miniature printers that printed on glossy paper. That w- it, it was pointless. You should have just been able to put smaller paper in your existing printer, or just put glossy paper into your existing printer, and then cut the stuff, the 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 photos, st- like cardstock down with scissors. But yeah, well, I think somebody should make a uh, somebody needs to make a um, an already like stenciled out like printable sticker kit so that you can just like put it into your into your printer and then it's got the cutouts for all the different body pieces and people should just be making their own sticker kits for these oh god who was that listener from alaska i believe that was gonna make us stickers for the trailer um I, I was trying to go through the emails the other day and find him. I'll, I'll look. I'll look deeper. I, ugh, I, I've had so much going on. I haven't had time, but I want to contact him and get stickers made, like ridiculous sponsor stickers made for each of the sides, the um, the side covers for the dirt Vespa. That's where our our decals are really going to come in strong. I think. On, on that project so I'll, I'll get a hold of him or find him or if you hear this before i can find your email again remind yeah, yeah get a hold of me okay cool so we ready to move on to worst bike in the world this week let's do it okay and i found the button this time it moved over to the next screen and the worst bike in the world this week is 
any of the years. I think they've been making it for about eight years in its current design incarnation, but we'll just call it the 2022 Tau Tau ATM 50, otherwise known as the Pony. Now, I was tempted to select the Tau Tau VIP. Because everybody has gone on Craigslist and seen a Tau Tau VIP in very, very rough condition. And sort of recognized it for what it is, a Tau Tau VIP or Tau Tau VIP Future Champion or whatever the fuck it's called. But the... In looking into the specs, the Tau Tau ATM Pony 50 really is so much worse, even though they are two scooters that share the same drivetrain and power plant and a lot of components. So I have ridden one of these, and I can confirm it is fucking terrible. Right. So this is a scooter which is just a smidge under $800 retail on Amazon. It is a scooter. It will apparently just barely break 28 miles an hour. It's, you know, will get you from A to B. It's, it's only $800. Um, it will come only partially assembled it won't have a title, but in most places you don't need one, or and even in places where you would need one, no one cares. It's not worth a lot, so if it gets stolen, fuck it, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is the modern day Dewey cycle. Oh yeah, yeah. This is a, a yeah. This is a DUI mobile if you if you live in the the Midwest. Um, but here's the issue with it. At $800, it's kind of a bad value for money. <laughs> so, okay. Um, well, okay. So, uh, some interesting things about it. It's basically a Honda engine made under license. So, it's like a GY6 motor, but it's not really a Honda GY6. It's like a licensed Honda GY6. It's... But not only is it that, it's it's a detuned GY6. So as opposed to something like a Ruckus or a Honda Metropolitan, which, um, it, is no, it has noticeably less torque and pull, even though they're, they're all 49cc scooters. Now, you can tune them up to basically make honda ruckus and metropolitan type power so you can get them from their like 2.9 horsepower up to 4.9 horsepower or whatever but you shouldn't have to but you do but as a result of them being so detuned and everything they the engines themselves don't really break i've heard a lot of i've read a lot of reviews watched a lot of youtube reviews of people that get six to 10,000 miles out of the motor, which is pretty good for a little 49cc motor that costs almost nothing. It's everything else that breaks. It's things like it's very common within 
two or three hundred miles for the steering head bearings to just completely fuck out. They're installed at angles incorrectly, or they're just cheap bearings to begin with that just rub themselves and flatten the 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 bearings inside the races. They, or somebody put the bearings in upside down at the factory. Right. It's things like, you know, it sounds really flashy that it's got two forks rather than a lot of scooters that have the single fork that makes the dog leg, right? But the forks just fail constantly. Um, the the wheel bearings go. The brake lines, it's a very common known thing that the way the front brake line is routed, it routinely rubs a hole in itself against the forks. So it's very common within 800 miles of it being new, you'll be riding it and just all of a sudden your front brakes completely go because the line rubs and it gets, it wears a hole in itself. Even when the line doesn't rub a hole in itself, the brakes aren't very good. Apparently for them to even be halfway decent, you have to take them apart and rebuild them before you even take the thing out on the road. Right. You you need like you need to take the original brake line out of it and replace it right away and you need to route it through the bike differently before you even take it out on the road for the first time just to just to be safe because a front brake is important. It's got again we were talking about the power. It's it's apparently it's not so bad once you get the revs up, but it's nearly impossible to start it on a hill. There's just so little torque available at the first twist of the throttle. So you either have to like lift the back up and like hold the red and spin the, like you have to like spin the wheel on the center stand and then push it forwards or something to get going on a hill. Or you've got to Flintstone it up the hill a little bit until the engine can like spin up and give you the power you need to go uphill. It has really flimsy bodywork. I mean, just, just go on Craigslist right now while you're listening to this and just Craigslist scooter for sale, and you will find one of these, and the, it'll say running scooter, and the scooter will run, but like half the scooter will be there, and you will see one of these things, these Tau Tau ponies. They have no markings on them whatsoever. It doesn't say Tau Tau, it doesn't say pony, it doesn't say ATM. It doesn't say anything. It's a very nondescript scooter. It is the quintessential, I don't know what that is, Chinese scooter. So you, like, you will find one. You'll go, oh, those things. That's what you're talking about. It's that scooter you've seen a hundred times on Craigslist, just polluting Craigslist. So Unless you're buying one of these to literally to be disposable, unless you're buying one to go, I need something that will get me across town for the next maybe two to three months. And after that, I don't care. It's yeah. not a good solution. You would be better off buying a really, really rough condition Honda Metropolitan and then doing the necessary repairs to that. 
Yeah, I guess you. the only appropriate way to use this is to kind of treat it like like a tent for a music festival where you have zero intention of bringing it home with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're taking this thing to Burning Man and you fully expect it to be like thrown on some like pyre before you leave. Like, yeah, there's no reason there's there's no reason to purchase one. It's it's a bizarre proposition. I mean, it's Again, I mean, the engines work. They're, it, it's apparently easy to tune. Um, there's nothing dumb about the way it's set up. There's fairly easy access to the carburetor and the engine and everything, just like there is on every scooter. Um, you can open everything up. You don't really have to disassemble it much to do the things that'll squeeze a little more power out of it. But that's not even where you want to start. You want to start with attention to things like the brakes, to bearings. I mean, these are things you should not be dealing with in the first thousand miles of ownership on anything, right? Right. I like a push lawnmower will go a thousand miles with less maintenance, right? It. It's really bizarre. And on top of that, it is like we love scooters, right? And a lot of listeners aren't have less than no interest in scooters. Now, the scooters we're into are pretty cool. We like old Vespas and Lambrettas and and kooky stuff. We like thing, you know, scooters that are manual transmission and two-stroke and and you know, made of real metal and and all that kind of stuff. This is the moped. This is the you will never get laid again mobile. This is worse than wearing sweatpants in Walmart. Like this is worse. This is the worst look imaginable. Even me, who who prefers scooters over, I, I would prefer almost any scooter over a trike. I, I would rather walk. Yeah, I would yeah. take a a pedal push bike before this. I would. I would do all kinds of things. This is a move of desperation. And, you know, if you're in a, 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 if you're in a zone where you have to make this move again, I think you should be buying a bicycle because it's a better long-term investment safety wise, value wise, resale wise, everything wise. I I don't see how this makes sense for almost anybody. Unless you're buying it because you're like, I have enough disposable income. I am buying this $800 scooter and I will just see how many festivals or things like mid Ohio. It shall make it through. Right. I I could see myself maybe buying one to take to mid Ohio for multiple years until it just gives out at which time I will just leave it in the mud, just abandon it in the woods somewhere. Well, it'll just be, it'll be buried in the middle of the, uh, of the barrel race track by the end of the first night. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. I'll just take it to the, what's the, what's the big hairpin turn called that separates like the campsite from whatever. 
it's called the like the turn about whatever whatever that big pointy turn is at mid ohio i'll just i'll just bury it at that corner and just leave it you know <laughs> but yeah i but beyond that i yeah i i mean if someone can come up with some sort of way that one of these has brought a person that they know joy i will take back everything that i've said but i'm not sure that over over a period of at least a full calendar year, this has ultimately brought joy to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think you may be right. I have found reviews of people that have unboxed them and ridden them around the neighborhood and gone, this is great. I have not found a review of anybody that has had one for several months and had an overall positive opinion about it. Yeah, there you go. And uh, it, it's not because it's Chinese either. Like we, we like SSR has proven that, that you can get quality stuff out of China. The, the new Moto Marinis are supposedly very high quality and they're Chinese. I, and uh, there's another old brand that's being brought back um, under sort of Chinese supervision. That's very that's very high quality and very upscale. Um, oh, DOT. It's it's an old British make that no one's heard of, but it's just a British name, a British brand that's been bought by uh, another one that's been bought by a Chinese company. But the bikes are very high quality, supposedly. So there's there's no reason to assume it's bad because it's Chinese. It's bad because it's that kind of Chinese. This is China from 10 years ago. So. Yeah. Also, anytime that there's a scooter to be won in a raffle, it's one of these with a decal set. That should let you know as well. Like every time, like, you know, like any of you that have college age kids, you know, if they were, if they were, if they ever like, you know, sent you an email like, oh, I might, I entered a contest to win this moped. You may not have to get me a car, dad. Like it was one of these that was being raffled because they're only $800 off Amazon. So, you know, it, it doesn't take much, you know, to get a whole dorm room of kids to throw in four bucks to, to, to make that money <laughs> back. Right. So, yeah, there we go. That's um, that's the worst bike in the world this week. I was mean to a scooter, and I don't I don't feel guilty about it. Okay, let's take a break, and then we shall come back with our little news roundup. Let's do the thing. Oh my gosh, my things. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and we're back, so let's do these little news tidbits that we came up with. Let's see, what should we start with? I like the London article. What do you think? Yeah, let's start with that. That's a good one. Okay, so apparently in the city of London uh, in 2021, motorcycle fatalities dropped by 60% or as much as 60%. There's still a little of finalizing of numbers, but nobody really knows why. 
not that there's like no this isn't like well we don't know how bees fly sort of thing but the exact reasoning has not been narrowed down now we know it was not a normal year but neither was 2020 so is it something like from the beginning of the pandemic that we're just now seeing the knock-on effects of like the furniture shortage right now or is it or is it something very specific about last year? You've got some theories, Swigs. Yeah. Well, one thing I would point out, um, yeah, you said you know twenty twenty <clears throat> wasn't a normal year. You know, twenty twenty one wasn't a normal year, and neither was twenty twenty. But something I don't think people often appreciate is they think that oh well, the thing that made twenty twenty weird is the same thing that made twenty twenty one weird. Therefore, twenty twenty one must have been a lot like twenty twenty which is not true. Even if the overarching um, um, like issues that cause a certain set of conditions are the same, like the world doesn't stand still. Even with like the broad stroke conditions being the same, people's behavior changes over time. And I think that does tie into it a little bit. Um, so I was looking into it uh, and I was thinking about it, and um, I think there's two segments of the market that have been really cut down on. One is the kind of people who buy fairly cheap scooters and motorcycles, and they like to ride a bit, but it really is kind of a toy for them. Now, if you're paying insurance in England, which is astronomical compared to the U.S., and you don't ride that much, and you've paid for your registration and your MOT and all that stuff, like, it's a lot of money to own a motorcycle in England. And especially if you're all doing that alongside your car. And then if, you know, you're, you've lost your job, or you're working less hours, or you're making less money, or maybe you're just not commuting anymore, because like a lot of people, you're working from home, then... If you're going to cut something, then if you're not going anywhere, then the motorcycle is going to be the first thing to go. And that's for a lot of people who do everything by the book, pay all the money they're supposed to. Then if they're all off the streets, then the least experienced riders are all off the streets. So that's going to have a huge impact. On the other end of the market is people who paid way too much for a really flashy bike, but they're doing it because, you know, they're a welder or they're a plumber and they make really good money, but maybe don't make the best financial decisions. Uh, all those people are out as well because they're all in a, a weird situation where a lot of their work is getting slowed down. Then... You know, any kind of manual labor job that's been impacted by COVID, they're making sacrifices too, uh, especially if you work for yourself. So all those people who have really overpowered machines that they can't really ride that well, they're out of the picture as well. So from both ends, you're you're kind of cutting out a lot of the market. And the people who are still riding regularly and keeping their insurance, keeping up on their insurance payments and registering their vehicles are the people who are really into riding. So during the pandemic, I would 
bet that as all of these effects came into play, we probably have the most experienced riders on the road right now. And I think that's going to have a huge impact. It sounds completely reasonable. Um, I mean, it might, uh, a, com- a combination of that might just be, again, as society has really become more safety focused in every single aspect, dramatically, are we finally seeing like a knock on effect of that, of people just riding less, but also just everybody that's riding, regardless of their financial states, being more cautious because safety is just the word on everybody's lips. I mean, it it, it sounds crazy to say, but the number one contributing factor to all road accidents is driver error, is lack of attention, is drugs and alcohol. Like, it's all rider error. It's not to do with the machines themselves or the laws or anything like that. So if you have people who are simply just paying a lot more attention, that really would be the single most powerful thing that could drop that statistic. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's still 50%. It's around still 50% of motorcycle accidents are single vehicle accidents where it was the motorcyclist's fault and no no other in, no interaction with any other vehicle. So if that's been cut down a, a significant amount, that's going to make a huge difference. I don't think it would account for all of it, but it would definitely be a big contributor. So I think this is a great story to follow or see if there is or isn't a follow up on. Because if there is no noticeable or measurable... um cause for this drop we could probably safely infer that it's the riders themselves that have that have upped their safety in which case and i think even without that strong evidence it's just worth saying hey ride smarter it is the single most effective thing that can keep you safe right yeah uh, you know, and on top of that, it's a good argument for rider education and all that sort of stuff. Like it really could be the thing that one a more important thing for motorcycling in general. If every motorcyclist had more instruction and took safety a little bit more serious, and we dropped all accidents by sixty percent everywhere, maybe we wouldn't have people judging bikers so much and calling them donor sickles and all that bullshit right right in in which case there would then be more motorcyclists so i I don't know i i my 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 takeaway is that there's i think there's a strong there's a maybe not a strong but there's a possibility that it's simply mindset that explains it so i'm kind of curious to look up what the accidents numbers are in the States and for the rest of England. And if it's something because, because that would make more sense, right? If the numbers dropped in London, they would 
drop everywhere else if the reasoning was just state of mind. Yeah. Because there's no reason that would be contained to the city of London. Well, I think the mix of occupation and financial security across the nation would have a big impact. Um, and it would look a little different because the economic landscape is different in different communities. Um, that might play a role in it. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see where what other cities are looking like. Okay, let's move on here. Let's let's get some fun. We haven't talked anything MotoGP related for a while. Uh, there's plenty of little MotoGP news tidbits, but I think we should, could we should just sort of do a um, a mid postseason catch up in a few weeks on that. And but for right now, I think it's worth talking about Mark Marquez. Just real quick, so. I kind of, you, when we read this article, you were like, oh, Marquez is back on a bike. And I was like, was he off? I, it completely got blown over for me. There was so much else going on at the end of last year that Mark Marquez had another sort of kind of pretty serious accident in testing towards the end, like the second to last round. Right. Yeah. And apparently I didn't know this was just completely off the bike until uh, like a couple weeks ago and he's now testing again but um rung his bell pretty hard like concussion or something and other injuries and mm. took this long to get back on the bike again has mark marquez spent more time off the bike than on in the last two years uh well he definitely has in the last two years because he did one race in the previous season um, so if he's missed more than one race this year, then yes, which he did. He has in fact had, yes, less than 50% attendance in the last two years. So after like, like a couple months after that big crash in Hereth, right? Where he really fucked up his shoulder and, and broke his forearm. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, I, I think every injury now is just going to be compounded, and this is kind of the end of Marquez. And this strongly backs up my prediction there. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, concussions are, are a little bit different, and it's, you know, concussions don't compound with other injuries, but concussions definitely compound with concussions. And it's not like Marquez has lived his life concussion-free. Yeah, free. what are the odds Marquez was concussion-free up till now? And, and, you know, and just because he's a racer and he's super proud, what are the like? how many undetected ones were there, right? Like, how many did he just walk off, you know? Or were yeah. reported, or the doctors were hush-hush about it. You know, like, sports medicine's still kind of weird that way. And... You know, MotoGP doctors are really sympathetic to the riders and their need to race. And I, you know, uh, I don't, I, I don't want this to be the end of Mark Marquez. I mean, fortunately, I think there's plenty of enough competition to keep the series super um, interesting. But it would also be nice for Mark Marquez to stay at that Mark Marquez level and see if someone else was going to surpass him. 
Mm-hmm. So it'll be hard to tell moving forward if the whole bar has just been lowered a little bit and now we just have that many more races at the front because the bar has been lowered or I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Marquez was racing at some of his best when um, what's his name on the Ducati took it to him. Um, Dovi. No, not Dovi. Um, Oh, Bagnaya. Oh, Bagnaya this year. Right. Bagnaya at the end of last year was really taking it to Marquez at what looked like Marquez at his best. But Marquez had only really been back in sort of pseudo Marquez form for a few races. And I was kind of looking forward to, okay, let's take an off season. Let's get some more rest and more practice and come back fresh next year and do a whole series, a whole year unbroken and have it be a real Marquez year, hopefully. But I don't think we can really call it that now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, that I don't know. Um, let's see, moving on, moving on, moving on. Um, both Ducati and BMW supposedly reporting that 2021 was their best year ever. I'm still not clear on how a huge amount of people the world over living on three quarters of their regular income and all that equaled epic bike sales uh one word what credit okay i don't think anyone's purchasing these bikes outright i think people are i think that's what's happened Well, there are a lot of factors, I think, but I think that people are getting much, much longer term loans for motorcycles. Uh, I don't know any other way that this could possibly work. I mean, I understand how the desire for motorcycles has gone up that much with people spending more time at home and... Just going like, oh, shit, I've got more time to pursue these things. I really want a bike now. But, yeah, the economics, I don't understand how it makes sense. But, okay, cool. I'm glad that it's been Ducati and BMW's most preferable year. And, uh, you know, those sales are really heavy on Multistrada's and GS1250's, too. Yeah. Like really heavy on those, I the like the like the Multistrada V4 is not a cheap piece of equipment, and they sold a fucking shit ton of them. Apparently, I right like I yeah twelve hundred plus cc uh twin or four cylinder bikes just seem to be going bananas right now. I I don't know. I need to I need I to ride more of these adventure bikes because like I rode the the KTM I think, I think 1290. There is also, I think there's also a key demographic of people who have now consider that they have more disposable income to put towards it because they've just resigned themselves to the fact that they'll never own a house. That could be it too. Yeah, if people aren't saving their money for a down payment. 
that frees up cash. That's true. That's such a weird thought, but okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well here, let's talk about a adventure bike. That's not huge displacement. So somehow we missed this in our new bike roundup. There's now going to be, or already is a Himalayan 450. Um, let's look up some specs on this because I didn't look at them um, already. I think it's just the prototype right now, but it's there's uh, there's shots of the bike, so it's got a little bit of an updated look. It's got obviously a 450 engine. Um, it was a 440 before. I thought it was like a 400. Or was it 400 Himalayan 4? Something like that. But now um, I guess we're up to 40 horsepower. Um, Let's see here. Okay, here's an article for it. And overall, it's basically just a... um, What's the the word for it? Hmm... It's hard to say. There's there's some some really wacky shots and some really shots of like it being exactly what you would expect. And like I said, the uh, the look is very much updated. It doesn't look like I like how the Himalayan as it is is kind of a little bit of a throwback with also some modern styling cues. It's one of those blends that makes some sense to me. This new one looks like kind of a budget Dakar bike. A little bit more. Yeah. It's, um, but it's still a good look. I, I see no problems with it, or at least the, the prototype kind of sneak shots versus like render images that are available. Um, again, the, the, the Himalayan doesn't get a lot of talk, but like it's, it's like a cult bike. Is that a good way to put it, you think? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's not getting a love right now, but it's going to at some point have like a KLR 650 kind of status. They seem to be, when you do the right upgrades to them, pretty rugged and people kind of seem to like them. Yeah, well, again, this is another, this is another aspect of when you don't have something that's like super highly tuned. Yeah, a lot of the times something that's highly tuned and high performance often means you can't fuck with it. If you touch any part of this, you're you're going to ruin it because you cannot maintain that state of tune with certain mods. But with things like the KLR650 and I think as people continue to do it with this, I mean there are already a few things with with the original Himalayan that people are doing. There's something that there's enough play in the design that you can just kind of do whatever you want. And it's it's OK. And uh, people will be doing it forever and they'll they'll live forever like KLRs are. Yeah, I it's a um, it's weird because uh, Royal Enfield is kind of known for doing an update to their bikes every 20 years and just kind of leaving them alone right 
it's it's encouraging to see the Himalayan get an update after what what's it been four years maybe three uh was it 2016 or 2017 they announced it i want to say 18 i thought we saw it well there is also one of those bikes that had a long lead up that's true well we saw the we saw one of the first ones in the midwest um at moto gp yes i can't remember if that was 17 or 18 though it was the second year we went to GP, so it might have been nineteen. No, that would have been eighteen. Was the second? Yeah, yeah, eight. So yeah, I think eight. So four. So about four years, and now it's getting an update. That's that's a pretty quick turnaround for for Royal Enfield. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're probably they must be going through just so much retooling right now because I mean, essentially they've been they've just been pumping out the old. Um, the old bullet 500s for so long i think they just went on a massive retooling tear after having produced those bikes for like how long were they producing them for like a oh my god like 20 even... years or something of well um hmm, when like did they it... switch no because i want to say they switched to those fuel injected 500 singles that were unit construction about like when they went fuel injected would have been like 2015 ish 2014 ish right i think 2014 maybe even so i mean those bikes failed really quickly people decided that they hated those ones unbelievably quickly um uh yeah, because I remember when uh, my old boss Steve bought his 2000 Enfield Bullet, he almost bought one of the newer fuel-injected ones. And he was like, this thing's, I'm understanding, not all that legit. And I was like, yeah, it's not legit. It's new, but it's old technology, but it's not even the old design. It's a new, old, crappy design. You don't want this crap. Like, it's you like know, buying, get the one that's at least legitimately crap, right? Sort of like buying a brand new laser disc player. It's like, yeah, why? exactly. It would be like buying a new laser disc player, exactly. <laughs> why? <laughs> okay. So, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, new Himalayan. In fact, and by the way, I did want to point out this like weird high concept prototype picture of this Himalayan is super duper cool. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but I do love it. Okay, let's move on. Um, okay, this is just a fun frivolous story, but I just love the narrative of this. So in um, uh, Vietnam... Uh, fairly recently, like within the last month or so, or I think, or last couple months, a man robbed a bank and then took the money, the cash that he stole, went to a dealership and bought a Kawasaki Ninja ZX-10R and then flooded social media of pictures of him buying the bike and then through Facebook got arrested. 
This guy has not been wa- has not watched enough mobster movies. Not at all. Now, I applaud this man. I think if you're going to rob a bank, this is the reason to do it. But I don't know, maybe like try to use the cash to buy some crypto or something and then see if the dealership will take that. I don't I, something make a basic attempt to launder this money, right? Start a car wash. You know? Start a car wash. Yeah, I uh, or a mattress store. Uh, yeah, <laughs> do so, do something to launder this money before. But nonetheless, I still feel like this man's an absolute legend, and, <laughs> and I applaud him. Wait, so where was this Vietnam or the Philip? Where was this? This is Vietnam. So, so again, like, I, where are you gonna ride a ZX10R exactly? In Vietnam, because buying a ZX10R in in Vietnam would be like buying four Lamborghinis at once in Denver. Like, if this is a big splash, right? <laughs> <laughs> In a country where almost everything is under 10 horsepower, getting a ZX-10R is a, that is a move, okay? Whoever the flashiest, least, um, uh, least uh, financially competent rapper is in Vietnam still doesn't have a (laughs) ZX-10R, right? Like I, I, it must be difficult to rent one, right? So yeah, going and buying one is is quite a move. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's move on to a story that's gonna make me super duper angry. Uh, internet sleuths have found patents which i've looked at that seem very very complete for an aprilia version of the niken why 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 i uh, so what was it the, it was called like a multi-wheel le- leaning trike system or something like that it's like multi-wheel leaning trike or multi-leaning multi-wheel three-wheeler or something like that and yeah it's a prilia so the the plans look pretty detailed if you if you google aprilia you know multi-wheel leaning or whatever you'll you'll find this and it, this doesn't look pretend so we all need to emotionally brace ourselves for an aprilia Niken. Now, again, the the Niken has been not debunked, but it has been shown that the extra front end grip that it gives you is not a whole lot more. It is more. It is more. And if anyone really wants to know, like over email or something, I can explain to you how it has more front end grip. And it doesn't have more front end grip because it's got two wheels. That is not what gives it more grip. It is the way it balances weight more over the inside wheel. So this is actually more hideous than the Nikon. Just looking at the wireframes. 
Well, I mean, we'll see what the bodywork looks like, but it can't look any more like a dung beetle than the Niken does. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, uh, I, there's no way to express in words like how off-putting and weird this look is. And maybe they'll dress it up with some bodywork, uh, but I... I, I don't understand. This is well. My my question is 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 front end washout a significant a, a significant contributor to crashes? Because I don't think it is. I no. I think it's mostly just a new form of pageantry to have something weird and awful. It. Uh, I I don't know it. I'm trying to think of a good when when analog. MotoGP can achieve sixty plus degrees of lean angle on slick tires, right? I, on on smoother asphalt than your average road. I I don't see how at you know fifty five to sixty five miles an hour, even the sharpest turns that American or European or Japanese public roads. Uh, provide get you anywhere close to losing the front end i i just don't i i i I, instead if you're worried about front end grip instead of buying a nikon i think you need to learn trail braking and save yourself a lot of time money and embarrassment but why is Aprilia going for this? And oh wow, yeah, those pictures. Okay, I haven't, I didn't see this particular angle of it. So it's Ooh. like this. We so the picture they have here is. It seems like you have a normal triple tree, that then expands out into like this brace that starts out as like the top of, two. Um, uh, of the forks, which then goes into this weird central unifork that so, comes down the bottom, and then there's weird linkages at the bottom of it. Like this makes an MP3 look sexy. I I don't know how you would dress this up. Well, the top part of it looks a lot like the Nikon system. What seems different about this is these curved arms that come inside with the weird double knuckle linkages that go to the shocks on the inside. You know, because the uh, the Nikon's got the 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 the, the double forks on the outside of the wheel. Right. This has these curved arms with spring shocks that go to the inside of the wheel, and that seems to be the only thing that makes it significantly different. So it's got a weird sort of like Honda ProLink system at the bottom of these curved arms with these shocks. So, so presumably you wouldn't have an insane amount of... um of um wheelbase change which i guess would be nice for your wheelbase not to change going through a curve so i would be much more i would actually be somewhat interested in having a single wheel version of this 
okay. Like, if this is a way to get... Like, do you see what I'm saying? If you just took one side of this with the way it's set up, I think there's a way to have this work. So it's essentially like a single-sided swing arm for your front wheel, but it connects to the steering head rather than, like, the, the bottom of the frame, like a like a center hub steer. This looks like a center hub steer that comes down from the steering head and kind of actually makes sense. Isn't that just like a Yamaha GTS 1000? Right. But again, like, I, I think I would be interested in a, a two-wheeled version of this thing. I think when you take this whole system, if you made it one wheel, I think it would probably be the wobbliest, most unstable system ever well if you figured out a way that the um that because like you know bmw front ends aren't wildly different than this uh i don't know bmw manages to to balance the weight out they they've got like the the they don't have like true forks they've got just like the one arm that reaches around the front wheel there, I think there's a way that you could get the balance right on this. Because again, BMW, this, so look at this. With the way this shock goes down, this looks like it has the benefits of... I think if you've got of, the dog leg that goes like around the wheel and connects to the axle on both sides, then yes. But like having everything go through one side here, uh, I, this seems very sketchy. Without two wheels. Uh, well, perhaps. But like, but you see what I'm saying? Like, all the concepts of this in a single wheel, you would get the benefits of leading link. You would get the benefits of well, center you, hub steering. If you look and at this you with get the, the benefits of, like, a Hossack front end where you don't have wheelbase um, uh, change. Wheelbase, wheelbase length change. Well, if you look at the, the shocks in the back here, and then with this whole rigid structure up front, uh, I think this effectively is leading link. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. like the this there's a lot of advantages the way this is set up, just not in two wheels. Yeah. Uh, it's weird, and I don't like it. I don't like I'm it here. either, but it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we'll have to see. And, and maybe there is some sort of bodywork you can put on this to make it not look horrendous. Um, I don't know. But again, just why? Yeah, why? Unless maybe they have to do it in a three-wheeled version to sort of prove the system and maybe give us a two-wheeled version later on? Um... I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's move on to the next one. Um, oh, let's go to uh, let's. So um, uh, Alpine Stars has sort of updated, and there's a new line for their tech air systems. This isn't super dramatic, but Alpine Stars has announced the Tech Air Three. And you might be like, well, Pete, there's already a Tech Air 5. Well, okay. So basically, there's n I haven't found a price for it, but 
the big problem with Alpine Star's Tech Air is one, you have to make sure it's charged. But uh, okay, we all make sure our Senna's and and Cardos are charged, and I make sure that my brake free light is charged. I guess I can deal with making sure a vest is charged. And at least Alpine Stars doesn't have a bizarre subscription service for their vest. You just buy it and it's good. But it does have a really expensive recharge, which kind of throws it off. But safety-wise, it's supposed to be second to none. Now, the Tech Air 3 is a vest that's worn over your jacket, like a lot of other cheaper options. It doesn't have to zip into a Alpine Stars jacket and it's sort of aimed more at commuters and things. So whilst I haven't found a lot of details about it, I'm hoping it just uses regular air cartridges instead of like the weird nitrogen cartridges that the current tech airs use. And maybe it's a little bit more on the affordable scale. Right. I'd like to see like a four or five hundred, maybe four hundred dollar price tag for this. That would be super duper compelling. But I don't know. We're we're big fans of air airbag vests. I I don't know why they haven't been widespread adopted when lots of people are willing to spend six hundred bucks on helmets. I feel like a three hundred dollar vest that doesn't need to be um you know renewed every couple of years you can just buy it once and it's good and you know it's $20 to reset it with air cartridges is compelling if that's good for life right i so but yeah alpine stars yeah. has been way too expensive for way too long i don't know what do you think about it I agree. I like, I mean, I understand like when you're coming out with new tech, you've got to go after the early adopters and it's got to be ridiculous and high tech and flashy. Uh, but at a certain point, like you need to, you need, you need a, a little less Dusenberg and a little more, you know, Reliant Robin or, or, uh, yeah, you need you need the people's car. Yeah, you it's the, you need the. It's weird, yeah, because Alpine Stars is kind of a people's brand. Like none of their stuff is super duper cheap. Like it's not cycle gear or whatever, and some of it can go up to be pretty pricey. But it's not Dianese, right? Right. It's a lot of it's reasonably priced. I mean, they do have some of that high end stuff, but there's always been a modest option. Right. Everything they have goes from, you know, a, 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 exactly a totally average middle of the road priced option all the way up to, you know, less than the Dianese, but, you know, still pretty priced. Yeah. Um, so it's weird that Alpine Stars has had this premier system and stayed so pricey with it. But I, I am interested in the fact that they now have this. I didn't even know there was a version one. I don't know how this got by me, but they have a special off-road vest as well, which presumably has um, different different algorithms to detect sort of more off-road uh, off style accidents versus on-road. Yeah, and all, all that is is just, um, I mean, really... 
all you have to do for that is you just use different rider data. Right. Nobody actually, because the way these, these machine learning algorithms work that create these super sophisticated um, sensors and know when to trigger and when not to, uh, broadly speaking, nobody actually knows how the computer decides whether to turn it on or off. It doesn't know what logic it's using. The computer just has crunched the data and it has these machine learning algorithms and it just goes over and over and it comes up with sets of rules and it makes it so that its its results match the test data. So it once it has a rule that it comes up with that correctly identifies all crashes and doesn't misidentify any crashes, then you're good. Nobody can actually read that code. Nobody knows what the end result like data is doing uh but all you have to but it's great because all you have to do is you just say well let's put this on motocross riders and dirt riders and we'll label all the data so yeah it's going to be a completely different computer i mean it's it's all the same technology uh electronics wise it's just different software i love it because it, it's sort of like facial recognition software Except, you know, it, to get all this data where, you know, like what is or isn't a crash means a lot of people just had to crash and they had to record that. Yeah. So I, I wonder I wonder how much of that was putting dummies on bikes versus you know like like did they take one of those uh honda or bmw self-riding bikes and just put a a a dummy on it with a vest and then just at some point just hit the brakes real hard or turn the handlebars or whatever and then just the self-driving bike with shit tons of um crash bars just flips end over end like what where did they get all this crash telemetry uh, I think most of it they got from uh, from actual racetracks. But uh, is that well okay for for a race vest that's good, but for a commuter vest, like did did they go around just dealerships going okay every new bike with an IMU that comes in crashed, we need you to send us the 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 black box. Uh, they probably did something like that. I mean, cause you don't need, uh, you know, everyone talks about like Tesla's like, oh, Tesla's got like 200 million road miles of data. It's like, well, as a person, you learn to drive in like six months. So like how much data do you actually need? Are you inexperienced because you don't have 200 million miles on the road of experience? You don't actually need as much data as you think you do to actually get a product rolling. You probably could just have, like, if you just took, like, 500 people and just for one year you just said, hey, just wear this little data recorder at IMU every time you go riding. And then you get, like, maybe you get, like, 50 crashes or something and, like, incidents, and then you just put it all together. Like that that's kind of all you need to get started. And then once you've built the product, then you just keep adding data from other people who have crashed. It's it you don't need anywhere near as much data as you actually think you do. Um 
I suppose, I guess as soon as they've got something workable, they could just every year update it with more and more data and just slowly, like, you know, tighten it up. Yeah. Once but, you, yeah. You get you something workable, like, then you go to version two and it's like, okay, we doubled the amount of crash data. So now it's, you know, half a percent more accurate or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're really talking about going from like 95% accuracy to 99% accuracy to 99 0.9% accuracy. And yeah, you could get that 0.09 more by, you know, increasing your data set by 10 times, but like it's all diminishing returns after a certain point. Right. But you still want to keep tightening it up just if nothing else to avoid that one in a million lawsuit or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just interesting now that this, that these vests have progressed enough that we have race-specific ones, commuter-specific ones, and off-road-specific ones. I I think it'll be a while till we see a motocross one, because that's got to be a really specific data set. Like, well, what, what, what kind of track are you doing here? Is this supercross or motocross? Cause that's going to have an impact. Like, we'll you just know, go back. Is this, I am you expecting you to be 20 feet in the air or not? Yeah. I mean, just to go back for one sec, um, there is kind of a little bit of an anti-marketing problem with like the, the updates and the increased data, which is you go to somebody say, Hey, We've updated the uh, the algorithm. It's it's uh you should download the updates now. It's more reliable. If if you do that, then the person that a small number of people are going to ask, was it not reliable before? Is it not a good vest? That is kind of the double edged sword of of the learning algorithm and like focusing on the updatability of it. I would I would kind of Trojan horse it. I would be like, oh, we've we've updated it to have this much better battery efficiency and make <laughs> that technically true, but also put in better crash data at the same time. <laughs> that's how I would handle that. Yeah, that's an option. See, this is why every tech company needs a resident idiot. Okay, so... Um... Oh, the last one. I didn't see this. You've got the skinny on this one. Um, apparently, Kawasaki is filing a patent for a battery swap. So apparently, I, I did look into this a bit more. Apparently, the patent is quite old. Um, and it goes back to like 2011. I can't remember Whoa. what it was that... Um, well, Kawasaki, I think, has been like the most vocal... Like, even earlier than Ducati on making an electric motorcycle. And they've had weird prototypes that have never seen the light of day forever. Well, Kawasaki, because Kawasaki is so huge, already has eight bajillion battery-operated machines. Right. So, this one is a little bit... Not literally eight billion. That was hyperbole. But, like, Kawasaki makes crazy electric robots and all sorts of stuff. I'm sure they, they electric fork. Like how many uh, Kawasaki must make an electric forklift, right? I'm sure they do. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Like they, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have like a prototype of everything like that's electric converted and ready to go to space. Right. So I'm saying as as one of the as 
more than any other motorcycle manufacturer, I think they would have the muscle to enforce to present a standard and try to get everyone else to adopt it than you know honda or or bmw or any of the bigger companies so this is way less of what you're envisioning for that um this patent is actually it's kind of a cool concept and would be good for a race bike um and maybe good for a non-regularly swappable battery but something that you would swap out every few years and the way it's designed is um this one is essentially like a big battery pack taking up the whole center of the bike with a mid-drive motor at the bottom but what's interesting is everything bolts onto the motor and it's like a mid-drive electric motor as a stressed member on the frame as a stressed member and then the battery all sits on top of that and they have this weird design where they're expecting so here you've got to drop the motor to get the batteries out yes so this is kind of garbage yeah this isn't very so this so this is more modular batteries than swappable batteries yeah so I mean, this is this is kind of this this does make a lot of sense if you're not going to regularly swap batteries, but if you had the infrastructure, this would be really good, say, for a mechanic to be able to pull out a gigantic battery pack and then you know rebalance all the cells to get some extra life out of the battery pack. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, I see that. So if it's it's like or once if you're every just racing, 8 years your yeah. your batteries need maintenance, this is the way to okay. Or rather than just recharging the batteries in place and bringing like gas generators onto the track at MotoGP, having something like this would be good for racing. Where you could just have a standard battery pack and just drop it in. Oh, yeah, because this would be a 15-minute job for a GP race crew, right? Right. Yeah, you take the six bolts off to get the bodywork off. You take, you know, six more off to disconnect it from the frame. Yeah. And then you swap a new one in. Yeah, this would be... This would be a much more practical solution for racing rather than, oh, you got your 15-minute practice session. Now uh, come back in six hours when we've recharged your battery off of a gas generator. The square swing arm on this really gives away that it's not a new patent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it it just shows you that that the that the big the big four aren't like they're not suspiciously quiet. They are waiting for the moment that this makes the most sense to do it. I, 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 I think, I think they're all kind of waiting till there's more standard batteries, and the whole thing makes a lot more sense. And when Honda and Kawasaki and specifically those two, and well, Yamaha is pretty big. Yeah, when they all drop electric bikes, it's going to be around the same time, and they're going to be a lot better than 
everything we've got right now. And it's not because they're going to have more performance or necessarily better range. I think it's going to be that the economics of them and the charging setup and infrastructure and all that is going to be so much more in place and realistic. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, the biggest... The problem with a lot of the models of um, of swappable battery systems that I see is all of the toxic rent-seeking bullshit that is injecting itself into every part of the business model. You can't sell an electric bike with like a 60 to 70% markup on an ICE engine and then tell the person that the most expensive part of the bike, which is the whole reason that it's more expensive, the batteries, is something that they won't actually own. That doesn't work. If you sell the bike at, you know, two-thirds the price, and then you say, okay, but you're 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 going to pay more because you're going to be, you know, or it's going to be more expensive, but a big part of that price is going to be a deductible on the battery, which you won't own, but you'll pay, you'll have the deductible while it's in your care. And you'll swap that out over and over and over again. That works. But people seem to want to lock the bike down and not let you modify it and you're also going to pay for the batteries but now you also have to use proprietary chargers and you can't use your own battery and like that's kind of the problem you know it's it's kind of like the app store effect where everyone's trying to take a 30 percent cut here and there all down the chain in a way that wasn't in place before and it just kind of sucks all the value out of it. So as long as we have, you know, just a unified standard that, you know, and it doesn't have to be just one connector and one battery for everything. There can be several different kinds. But if there's a unified standard that different that every bike will use, or we're down to just a few, if you're allowed to use third-party batteries and there isn't some sort of like, you know, uh, like Keurig K-Cup, type drm bullshit on it i can see it working really really well but we can't i i I, if everyone has their own proprietary standard everyone's using different batteries and it's all locked down and you can't use a third-party battery i don't think it's gonna go anywhere so as far as the electric future goes i can in two words sum up why almost everybody's predictions about it are wrong and those two words are bird scooter so i we've moved on from this very quickly and eric buell pointed this out very briefly when we interviewed him and it was a wonderful insight that we kind of glossed over a little too fast. And he said, well, these bird scooters were supposed to be this great public sharing model, high, like a very economical, eco-friendly solution to transportation, but ended up being a financial and environmental disaster. And 
kind of like food trucks became this business model that caught on and gathered a lot of speed really quickly. But, you know, like, like a, like an Omicron surge peaked and crashed equally quickly. Right. And, and the, I mean, it's, it's almost like the same mathematical model. Like, so we're not learning this lesson. We, I guess as a culture, we didn't have enough time to just pause because so many other crazy things have happened in the last couple of years. But one, it proved that people do need to own these things. This whole like, oh, you can just rent it or lease it or whatever it's subscribe to its model doesn't work because people we've seen people had zero respect for these scooters. They just destroyed them. Yeah. Second, the, the whole model of taking them and recharging them for the company and whatever became a disaster. Uh, no one was there to fix them when they broke. So they weren't maintained. And, on top of that, eventually people just didn't even want to ride them. Like even when the system was all there and in, intact, it, well, it was also, only because it was trendy, and we all assumed it was trendy because it was a because just because it was new. Well, it was new. It was in the news. There was like a big financial like venture capital investment in it. And everyone thought, oh, well, this is going to be the next big thing. This is the next part of the sharing economy. This is like how this is how the world changes for the better. But then I think after like six months of just like walking outside downtown and just seeing like seven sprawled bird scooters on the corner, like blocking the crosswalk like the entrance of the crosswalk, three of them are clearly smashed and don't work. You think, do I want to be seen riding one of these around town and be seen as like part of the problem? Like this is now like a blight on the city. Yeah. And like how many of them had the, uh, the screen scratched up with like diamond bits, like, like sketchy gas station, um, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> gallon readouts right yeah. the gang singles you know, spray painted they, they all ended up looking like um johnny five at the end of short circuit two right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, so yeah i i think when we're thinking about how electric bikes are going to legitimately play out we need to keep bird scooters in mind i i think people are going to want to actually own them for stars because you can go to sam's club right now and buy a bird scooter to just own yourself right yeah. so it's not just the ownership it's something about the vehicle itself it turns out was not all that great oh could it have been the ridiculous um uh, angle like that it had no rake whatsoever and was inherently unstable at speed like hmm kids break their wrists all the time in razor scooters what if we make a giant even faster one of those right like 
so so there's that and well now if you go to alibaba there are like um i know like the wolf ones you can now buy like full disc brake like eight horsepower like razor type scooters two-wheel hub motor it's putting hoverboards all over the city would have been safer but um on top of that it's it's like i don't know it just became like super uncool so there's a fashion element to it but it i think ultimately it was what really i i have a theory i i think the uh, how it became unreliable how it was like oh here's a bird scooter um oh this one doesn't have so much charge left like oh well this will get me halfway to where i'm going and then i'll just it'll run out of battery and then i'll just walk the rest of the way or oh oh well bird scooter to this place oh wait all of a sudden there aren't so many of them around like it there was no certainty to it people like their cars because like i own this car and it is in my driveway and it is there for me to drive somewhere at whatever moment i want to so the uncertainty of it became a problem you know for a moment there it was like oh just like ubering we'll be able to bird scooter wherever we want but then it was all of a sudden not so possible to do it whenever you wanted and uh, so so well know. there's also there's also the other element of like this is i mean this is kind of getting a little close to politics but like the whole part the whole like big advan- advancement like post industrial revolution was the whole concept of like really advancing um you know personal property rights and the way that people can actually be, you know, influence, you know, the engine of the economy is private ownership and showing and like, and just determining where you're going to spend your capital. And yeah, the whole sharing economy thing like completely disregards that. And it's making everything a more centralized system. And, that's never going you're you're not going to have you know what the the three or four different electric scooter companies are are not going to all magically you know advance the technology or or fine tune it in a way that's really going to work the same way as people owning their own transportation it's just never going to work out the same uh because you know, even though most people are kind of stupid, there's a natural selection process where if every dumb idea is tried, eventually one just kind of turns out to be good, and then everyone starts doing that. And that's what you're going to get with personal ownership, with being able to tinker with it. And also just the fact that people will inherently respect you know, their own personal investments rather than whatever this new tech bro company is that's just flooding the streets with scooters yeah well you know well something that constantly frustrates us about the electric world in general not just motorcycle world is you know when you go on electric 
or whatever other website or forum or subreddit or YouTube channel that follows these things, more than 60% of all the quote news is just total fantasy land. Yeah. And everyone keeps assuming, well, I keep hearing all these things about electric. It must be moving really, really fast. It's, it, it kind of is, but it's spinning in circles. Like whatever, whatever the 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 models that we ultimately decide on and settle on, I think we would get there faster if everyone right now could come to an emotional place to understand that it won't be better than internal combustion engines in every single way. There right. are going to be some major compromises that we will have to accept. And when we do come to that emotional place where we accept that, then we'll be much happier. I mean, I think the electric car problem is already solved. We just emotionally haven't got there. I think the the plug-in hybrids, I'm really more and more thinking it's the model. And if you look at how many electric cars are on the road versus plug-in hybrids, the numbers are already pretty compelling. It turns out for 95% of the benefits of an electric car, a hybrid with just 50 miles of range gets you there. And then you have an ICE engine to back it up. I think that makes perfect sense for large swaths of America where... If you're going to own one vehicle, it needs to be highway ready and it needs to be able to do, you know, if you live out in the middle of nowhere in fucking Kansas, you know, a 200 mile range or a, or even a 300 mile range may be something you actually need. Right. But, uh, but also. But the majority of people are just driving 30, 60 miles a day. Yeah. I, you know, uh, just a small battery that gets you that far on purely electric and then switches to a hybrid mode or mm -hmm. defaults back to it gets, and maybe there's some sort of version of a non performance motorcycle that does that, like a scooter version of that or whatever. But it gets us most of the way there yeah. for what with with ranges and batteries and motors and infrastructure that already exists. If we could just get past this idea that every motorcycle needs to be a performance motorcycle. Yes, that is definitely where we need to get to. Because we can't we can't just have every you know, every um article that makes waves be like oh look at this new electric motorcycle it's the fastest motorcycle in the world it's or, or you know this is the highest torque uh, motor any motorcyclist ever had before or you know, there's all these weird claims that come up it's like well yeah can you ride it every day like does it actually fit into is it something that you would actually buy like that you would buy today you know, would you are you going to go down to the bank and get a loan for this, or are you going to pay cash for this, like in the next two years? No, well, fuck off then, because we've had all the big splashes, we've had the high performance stuff. What 
what are people going to actually buy? And it turns out it's things like the new. It's you know a scooter with two battery packs, both swappable. You can take one out to save weight. They both give about 30 miles to charge. And that's what people are actually buying. Well, yeah, and like how much more would it cost for one of those those new NIU um, new scooters to have an 80cc backup motor that holds a third of a gallon of gas to just give you another 45 miles should you run out of charge for that peace of mind i mean I bet what's if, that I bet gonna if you add had like 300 a... bucks to the price and yeah. what if you actually engineered it to go in between gas and electric in a true hybrid sense well if you have multiple battery packs i bet there's a it might be a little bit sketchy but i bet you could get like a 50 cc motor and generator combo like into one of those larger battery pack spaces so if you yeah. had one that was like ventilated correctly and you could get airflow across it you probably could just like fit a tiny motor and yeah like a quarter of a gallon of gas in there and be like all right this will it's gonna take us a while and you know maybe we're only charging like 80 percent of actual usage you know cruising usage but like this could totally work if if you did yeah if you did if you did the the engine generator model as opposed to like the dual drivetrain model yeah I, you know but that's a compromised vehicle as well like you're going to have performance compromises and yes some people are going to feel the fact that it uses any gas at all as a big compromise but hey if it's got a pure electric mode that still goes 35, 40 miles purely electric if you want it to, that achieves 95% of, of our goals of less emissions, less fuel consumption. It's yeah. just those rare instances where the electric itself is not enough. Uh, and then that uh, that alleviates everyone's anxiety range and this and that. But again, there are concessions. Like you're not going to have as much storage on this vehicle, and it's or it's not going to be as performance based. But you know, I know people with hybrid Rav fours that never stop singing the praises of them, and it it, it achieves a lot of our goal. Like I don't know why we we can't accept compromise because. All of history and technology has been a series of compromises thus far. Why are we expecting that to change? So, I, yeah, the battery swap story here with Kawasaki, because remember, this is a story about Kawasaki battery swaps. <laughs> if you didn't know that, um, is that everyone keeps trying to reimagine the battery swap. And, like, I know the battery swap dream is brilliant and every time you know every person that thought they came up with this idea thought they were a genius but it's just never going to really work because it, it's it's uh, no i like the battery idea it just it just needs to be like double a's that's it it's not complicated it's not proprietary it 
just a standard. Well, it would work for something like scooters, and then you could have a much more serious one for other bikes. But realistically, two or three different batteries is kind of the limit on this for a widespread system and having you know as many battery swap stations as there are gas stations and all of that but it's there's problems it's it's a lot to overcome well here's the thing i mean just because your batteries are swappable doesn't mean that you have to swap them it can just be that it's a hell of a lot easier in you know five years when your batteries have degraded for you to just say okay well these batteries are now at like 80 percent of the maximum charge they were before and i like having the extra range so i'm gonna sell these batteries used and go buy new ones it can be well all city dwellers are going to have to swap batteries uh hmm I don't think so, but I think, I think, I think it also just makes more sense for more infrastructure related things. Like, I mean, the place that this makes the most sense would be like pizza delivery. Just every, every few runs, you just swap the battery out. That, that does make sense. There, there are specialized places where it's going to make sense. That's true. But anyway. I don't know. We're we're not going to solve the the electric battery bike range problem right now, but I do still think learning from bird scooters and accepting compromise is is ultimately something that everyone should just grow up and deal with right now emotionally because mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to be a really tough decade for you if you don't. Mhm. if you're an electric fan like come to this term right now all right so we're at an hour 45 we should uh end this so um again uh we've made a lot of headway on the app like it is closer than last week to being ready to deploy so i don't know a couple weeks more something probably on that um leave us ratings and reviews send emails to contact at nokamotopodcast.com and remember to stay safe stay tuned keep fighting the dragon and we'll get back to you in another week or so let's do the outro and i don't want to die i just want to ride on my mode her side mm-hmm. cold 